Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peachtree Hoops podcast, where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis. I think we have successfully navigated the entirety of the Hawks postseason and exit interviews. Uh, there will still be some trickling things like the pre-draft workouts and, and things like that that'll keep things going through essentially, I guess, the end of summer league. But uh, we, we've pretty much wrapped a, a Hawks season, Glenn. And what are your what are your big takeaways from from seeing the Hawks fizzle in the last couple of games against Miami? Yeah, I you know I continue to say when I get the opportunity that. I think it was important for them to get, get into this series, get into this matchup because of what they were able to learn there. Um, in, and I think the biggest takeaway I have now that I, I've had a little time to kind of even reflect more uh, with a little bit of distance since the last time they played was the how much more physical Miami is um, than Atlanta. And then after watching, and even if we just want to keep it to the Eastern Conference, after watching the Bucks play today uh, and the Hawks, encountered some of that last year. I, I felt like they were a little bit, for some reason, they were a little more successful with that last year than they were in this Miami series. But the Bucks and Celtics were super um, physical today, but the Bucks were on a different level from a physicality standpoint than the Celtics were, and that made a big difference in the game. And so when I kind of think about the roster that we saw play this last season and what types of changes may need to be prioritized, dumps, jumps out the most. You know, they have their offensive um, centerpiece. They have the shooting, you know, they were, you know, second best three point percentage team in the league. They have a, a defensive anchor veteran guy there. They have an up and coming backup center that, that, you know, I think most people believe will be a, a, a very reliable starter at some point. So, you know, those kind of pieces are, are there, but, you know, we've talked all season long about point of attack defense, not being enough there. Uh, we talked more, I think, late in the season about the secondary creation. Herder not kind of getting to another level there. Hunter certainly not getting to another level there and such. Um, but for me, if I think about kind of the ending and what was the kind of the, the starkest issue in that Miami series was uh, the ability to play with a lot of physicality. And even when Hawks got on runs, even if there were just a handful of them <laughs> in the Miami series, it feels like the way that Miami always kind of shut that down was kind of just raising their level of physicality. And so that feels like, you know, the thing that I'm kind of um, stealing on the most right now in, in terms of kind of a gap that really needs to be addressed when they remake the roster ahead of next season. Yeah. Uh, you know, you kind of compared the last two postseasons, and I think Capella makes a big difference there. They never really got the best version of, of him and his physicality, but in terms of just physicality up and down the roster, they, they don't have that. Uh, there were some other things that were sort of uncharacteristic of them. Like they were the best team in the league turnover wise in the regular season. And that fell apart in the postseason. Like how do you go, you know, full Jekyll and Hyde, you know, regular season to postseason in, in that kind of area? Yeah, and and not to kind of just come back to the same answer, but I felt like a part of that was the Miami physicality, bumping guys off of their path to a screen, bumping guys off of um, kind of the point of um, kind of setting a, a passing lane 
and I felt like that all of that kind of kind of showed up there. The other part was just um, they them throwing so much at Trey and Trey t- largely uh, you know, to an understandable degree feeling like he still needed to be the guy who was generating the offense. And that was basically, as we look back, just uh, almost an impossibility, if not an outright impossibility with how much they were throwing at him uh, and just not letting him get into his spots and to his attack angles and, and, and things like that. So, you know, Trey forcing things um, when there was just too much for him to kind of deal with. And it was um, a situation where he really didn't have much to work with. And, and maybe, you know, more often than he did, he just kind of give the ball up and let someone else attack. Mindy was inviting that for sure. Um, and then, I, like I said, I think the physicality kind of kind of showed up there too. Um, and um, And that's a valuable takeaway you know it's, it's not just a thing like oh you know darn it like we missed on that and that we couldn't do x and y and z it's like no that's a really valuable takeaway to have heading into you know a, a team that still has a lot of resources to work with to try to kind of you know reset their trajectory to continue ascending uh in the eastern conference okay that's a big area that needs focus and and that encounter with miami which it might not have been the same if they landed seven and went up against Boston. Boston uh, has, you know, a, a few players that are uh, pretty physical. You know, Marcus Smart is a really physical defensive wing uh, on and on. But like, you know, Horford is more of a tactician, you know, at, at center. Williams kind of the same way. Um, Jalen Brown and Tatum were just kind of swallow up ball handlers more so. So, again, I think, you know, try, trying to be kind of grateful for what learning opportunities came from this year is, all of this showed up in that matchup with Miami. I think it's 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 um, really helpful that 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 is how it landed. And looking at what can cause a team to have a, a really a big step up in turnovers, what can cause a team to have you know issues generating any points at the rim realm when they were you know so so they've been so successful the last two seasons for the most part, kind of getting there. But you know, great great things to look at and, and take away from the end of the year. In the exit interviews, Travis Schlenk sort of conceded there would probably be more roster turnover this season than last. There really wasn't a whole lot last season. But, you know, he said just the nature of, of the game, the nature of losing, the nature of having more free agents than he had last season. He said Dude, there's, there's probably going to be more turnover. When you look, and this is kind of a bad segue, maybe that those, these two eyes, they connect in my head, but I guess I should talk with the way through it. It's like when you look at the disappointment for Trey in, the, in that series, you know, how much of it do you put on Trey's plate? How much do you put on sort of the pieces that were around him? Like, how, it, It's clear to say, okay, it didn't work for Trey in that series, but like how do you sort of portion that out in terms of, of what you saw there. Cause clearly Miami was giving him a lot of attention. Yeah. You know, I, I think to me, it kind of goes back to design and everybody has a hand in design to a, to a degree, right? I mean, you're going to hold Travis in the front office, most accountable for that. I think that's a fair way to kind of look at it, but I think uh, at the same time, you know, I, I work in technology and, you know, if you have like a great set of kind of architects that are designing, systems for example 
and you just screw up the implementation, the engineers that are working on potential screw it up, then you can't always just say, well, the design was bad. You know, the implementation was bad, right? It could That could be the case. And same thing here is like when you look at the way the coaching staff tried to kind of use that design and turn it into a product on the floor, a set of things that they're trying to accomplish when they put the team on the floor, you know, what was missed from design to implementation in this case? And, and you know, and I think that there's a potentially a lot in that area. And then the players are very much kind of a part of that too. I think the biggest takeaway for me, when I look back at like, why could Trey not um, solve for what might be storming him? I think that's a little, a little bit of an unfair way to kind of tee that um, question up. It's more of why couldn't the Hawks, why couldn't Nate and his staff and the players kind of solve for that. And I, you know, and my takeaway is that, you know, coming off of last year, I think there was, you know, Herder showed us a lot in the postseason last year, right? He and Bogey working together, attacking the weak side, showed us a lot last year. And I think that it's reasonable to look back and say, hey, we we all hoped that Herder could kind of take it up another level in this, you know, what, fourth season of his, I think he's at, right? And then Hunter was, you know, hurt a lot last year, but, you know, he's a, you know, was a fourth overall pick and kind of has a, a certain kind of base package to work with. And you hope that if he had um, uh, a less injury impacted season that he could kind of step up. And then, you know, Bogey was in and out with some injuries, you know, this year too. But I, I think that what we've seen is that Herter's, you know, if we're thinking about putting the one player next to Trey that can absolutely, you know, that absolutely has all of um the skills and the makeup to be able to kind of attack when a defense is throwing so much at trade. And what Miami did is that guy, I don't think is on this roster right now. And I don't think there's anything too shameful about looking back and saying, coming in, we hope Herder would be a part of that. And Hunter would be a part of that. And Bogey would continue to be kind of be a part of that. Um, Can I stop you for one second? Yeah. I think it's easy to overlook. Like when you go back to the Philadelphia series and things like that in the last postseason, like, Lou was really helpful. Like he a lot of those lineups were Trey Lou Herder. And the fact that they had two ball handlers plus Herder kind of allowed them to, to get some stuff done. Yeah, I think I think that's an excellent point. Um, and, and and of course I may be assuming that Lou's not on this roster next year. You know, maybe that was a little bit of a convenient kind of um formula, you know, process for me there. But still, I think big picture, you think about Trey where he is, you know. Um Year-wise, Herder, same thing. Hunter, same thing. And thinking about kind of those being the core, Bogey being, you know, now halfway through a four-year contract, right, with, with the Hawks. It's that group, you know, could that foursome kind of be enough to uh, coalesce three players around Trey, two of those three on the court most minutes, you know, across the game when Trey is on and such. And I think, I think the in that area, the biggest takeaway this year is that None of those guys are really on a trajectory or are nor are they close to kind of getting to be that guy you can kind of just put next to Trey and say, look, if you're going to throw, you know, two and a half defenders at Trey on every single possession, we're going to kill you with this other tool that we have, you know, and there's nothing wrong with Hunter being a guy that has some some solid defensive value, can make shots, you know, space, you know, setting up in the corner, spacing the floor, lifting, you know, on the weak side all those things that he does. I'm not trying to say that Herter uh, has this, you know, significantly diminished value now. It's like, no, it's, I think the learning is just that the guy to put next to Trey, the guy to deploy with Trey 
um, you know, there was a hope, I think, that if not, you know, a little bit more than hope, uh, maybe a, a, um, an, somewhat of an expectation that, that the, the, the group of herder and hunter and whoever else she might be able to add into the mix can kind of be enough to, to do that. And I think that's just not, not likely enough to, to be something you can count on. And I think that has to be a big part of what they work on this hot season. What, what is the archetype for the player that you want to see in that role? Like if you could just kind of cherry pick, forget, forget salaries and free agency and the likelihood of a trade, just like in terms of, you know, looking around at all of the other 29 teams and saying, you know, we really need our version of that guy. Like who, who, who is sort of the, the right type of player in a, in a realistic sense? Like obviously you, you know, not not an all-star or a superstar, but maybe something of a of a role player, somebody who's kind of a bridge, maybe sort of a halftime starter if you, he fills in, but most of the season he's coming off the bench. Like for me, I haven't really thought it through that much, but I'm thinking like a, a Jordan Clarkson type, some, something along those lines. But but if you were to phrase it, how would you phrase it? Well, I mean it, it... I mean, it's so hard to answer these questions because the, the answer can seem ridiculous, but it really does depend upon what's available, right? And if we're, sure. if, right. So, you know, and I've, and I've talked with, you know, some people in the last week or so where I've shared a little bit of this, but like, you know, at the very, very top end, I think about a guy like Shea Gildas Alexander, and I asked myself, like, if they're going to build around Josh Giddy as their offensive centerpiece, does Shea want to stay there in Oklahoma City? Or, might he be looking for a way out? He can run a pick and roll. He his he's developed a shot. He is, you know, incredibly quick attacking seams. You know, which open up when the uh, the opposing defense throws a lot of trades. So that's like that's like in my mind really high end. You know, sure. Uh, if if you could catch um, someone in the league that's something like C.J. McCollum was as he was kind of ready to step in to be a full time starter, right? And, and and I'm talking on offense here, not not defense, right? But like CJ is has the length and the ball handling and the driving ability and the step back ability to attack the weak side of a defense. If you if you could find someone who is kind of in that trajectory or on that developmental path and kind of tease that out and see that and go find that guy, you know, that's what I kind of kind of think of. Because I mean, if it, you know CJ was available this year and the Hawks had went and got him, right? If they decided to use their capital for that he would have been really That's useful against Miami, you know? Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it, there would have been other challenges defensively for sure. Um, but that, but that's kind of, kind of, kind of, you know, what I think of in terms of a guy that we, I think we talked a little bit about this already because news came out a good six weeks ago or so about, you know, Brogdon being available that my, that Pacers are likely to be up for him. And, and he's, you know, probably um, you know, on, on the upper kind of uh, range of guys that could be available. He, and I view him as he kind of, ha- he plays a kind of a borderline all-star, you know, level, I think most years, even if he struggles to stay on the court some, he can shoot the ball, he's physical, he's big, he's strong, he can defend, but he can run a pick and roll. He's, one, he's actually one of the, like, you know, usually in the top 10 percent, he's in the 90th percentile of pick and roll kind of efficiency and execution, but doesn't have to be on the ball all the time. Um, and can shoot the ball and those sorts of things. So, you know, I mean, 
I think about Shane, it's like he's so young and there's such a an opportunity, you know, and this is, that could be a total dream scenario. I have no idea, right? <laughs> um, that would be fun to put next to Trey because they're, you know, about the same age. You could kind of grow together and, and those sorts of things. Um, Brogdon is older and, you know, who, who knows, like, you know, how much more, um, you know, 1,800-minute seasons he might have in him. You know, CJ just got traded, so that doesn't – seem likely i mean clarkston is an interesting one um because i think on the offensive side that's there's a lot there for sure i have no idea how you make that work defensively um (laughs) you know um i mean and i mean like bradley bill is is a guy who's still fairly young right but you know he's he's absolutely going to be on a max contract you know you know going forward and all that sort of stuff so how does that work kind of kind of cap wise but he definitely has the the chops to kind of do all of that and to run all your offense through him when Trey is off, you know, and things like that. So, but I mean, if you ask me like when, who, you know, who might be in year two, year three and on and has kind of a makeup of what could turn into like a CJ McCollum kind of player, you know, that's that. I don't think I'm ready to answer that question yet. I need a little time to probably kind of work on that and pull back a little bit more and not just reflect on the off season, but, reflect on the, the the season the whole league had uh kind of there um so maybe i'll tease that up for one of our next podcasts where i'll uh, kind of think more a little bit more uh about that because we know, have time i mean like i mean but you, just like it's jalen brunson um gonna stick around in dallas uh oh, the oh, Hawks. that that yeah see now, now you're that that's interesting Oh, yeah, and, and he and he feels to me like a guy who could be on that CJ, you know, type of kind of kind of path and stuff. So he he jumps out um, a little bit, you know. Um, I, I think people would think about if you if you weren't already just traded to Indiana, like a, a Tyrese Halliburton is a guy that could be, you know, kind of of that of that mold too. But um, but it, it's you know it's it's tough to project uh, right now who those are. So the, but there are a few guys. Kind of like that. Clarkson is more of the veteran version of that, where you don't, you wouldn't expect really more growth there because he's he's kind of, I think, plateaued. And I mean, he's a really good offensive player, no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's that's that has to be, I think, what what Travis is working on, job one. And I, I would even put that higher uh, at a higher priority than their uh, wing defense or point of attack defense, just because we saw like a team just basically take everything away from Trey in a whole series. And that just, that can't be something an opponent could do. Um, period. In my view. And if, you know, the Hawks are able to get that kind of player at some point, you know, Trey in his exit interviews said, you know, what he wanted to work on in the off season. He, he said, you know, there, he said a couple of things, you know, the first one was like, he didn't really know how much time he was going to take off or if he was going to take off time later, if he was going to take off time now, he just said, I'm super, super motivated. And he brought up saying, you know, they're, they're, I want to add stuff to my game. And last season for him, you know, he said he wanted to add mid range things to his game. He was saying in exit interviews, you know, essentially that he really wanted to work on his off ball game. Like he wants to be able to come off pin down screens he wants to be able to work without the ball. And, and, you know, that's encouraging. Um, Cause I think he already does so many things so well on offense. Uh, if, if the, 
the tools around him are a little bit better and there's potential for keeping teams off balance uh, because there's more talent and because Trey can do more things uh, that opens, that opens up a lot of potential for an offense. That's already really good. Uh, and especially, you know, for, for postseason stuff, I mean, that's, that's really what it comes down to is when teams are really scheming against you when they're loading up, when, when they've had a full season of your work to, to look at and diagnose and, and try to attack um, him being able to do more things like that would, would really be a nice counter. It would. I mean, I, I think he might as I think he said this post game after game five and not, not on an exit interviews, but he basically said, no, he said I'm, in the exit interviews, hundred percent. No, I mean, I mean, when oh, he, something when different. He, you're he, say. Yeah, yeah. When he said, I'm, I'm good at that. And I, you know, I will disagree. Oh, yeah, Right. After yeah. game five, he said, I'm good at that. And then in exit interviews, he said, uh, I really want to work on that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'm more on board the exit interview tone <laughs> than the <laughs> post game five tone. But I mean, it's, I mean, I mean, you know, Trey had a phenomenal year. He had his best year yet. And um, I've talked a little bit about this, but the fact that this year it seemed like he knew that teams just weren't going to run such conservative drop on him this year. Um, and, and that he wasn't going to get to his floater as frequently, and that wasn't going to be um, a reliable kind of source of, of so much of his offense and the way it was the prior year. And then even the, the free throw reduction, you know, kind of hit too. And the fact that he dealt with all that and was able to, you know, become a more efficient and more productive scorer really, it's just, that's just impressive, you know? And so, you know, it's not like we're talking about a guy who didn't work really, really hard last offseason at, valuable pieces to his game but um but it's uh, you know i remember i mean i'm just reflecting on watching the warriors and grizzlies game today and how much the grizzlies were overplaying all of their screens um where they lift uh clay kind of towards and steph towards the ball when they're working off ball and then when the defense overplays that they cut to the rim and and in the second half there were like a handful of plays where that was just critical. And, and I try to think about that. It's like, do I recall Trey doing that kind of one time? It, and, and that's not to unfairly hammer Trey. That's not something that the Hawks have really baked into their offense, right? Is that, that they rely on their bigs to beat um, defenses that are overplaying up high and create those lobs and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So that's by design. But I, I think if, if teams are going to kind of do what Miami does, that Trey be, being the one that beats that by getting behind, the defense and creating that, that would be something that would be really interesting to see them add, but it, he's, you know, he will, to, to be fair and kind of honest with ourselves to date, he's kind of stood around for the most part when he's given the ball up. Part of that is design. Part of that is he, he needs a little time to catch his you know wind and, and, and kind of buy some energy cycles and things like that. But when it comes to kind of punishing what Miami threw at you, he's got to keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. Everybody's got to keep moving. And there was just not enough movement there. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of adjustment from his offensive scheme standpoint they add there and how that might challenge Trey to do more of that, right? It can't just be Trey deciding I'm going to recognize what I need to cut. That has to be built in to the plan to a decent degree for that to be uh, enabled and portrayed to be empowered to do that you know, if he if he is going to in fact like he said uh, commit to do that so it's it can't be just him it has to be 
kind of the team the coaching staff all committing to making that something that they're going to add to the mix and 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 um seeing if that can be something that's different about their offense next year I have uh, I've, I've formed two strong opinions over the last week or so. Can't wait. First one is I do not want any part of Rudy Gobert. Like no, like he's a great player. Part of it is that the Hawks and the Jazz are similar enough teams that you look at that swap and it's like if Gobert doesn't fix those things for the jazz in Utah, if he comes to Atlanta, it's so many of the same issues. He's not going to fix those issues here either. I, I just look at the way that he's been attacked in the postseason with some of these five out offenses. And I know that it's a failure of the eye test, maybe more than the number test, but, I, I, I can't see that being a dramatic enough improvement over Clint Capella to want to do that. Like I just, in terms of the money that's owed to him, in terms of the assets that Utah would want to make that happen, it just seems like a lose-lose. Like I just don't want that to happen. I mean, I understand all of the things that he does bring. And that when he brings those things, he'd probably be even better in Atlanta playing next to Trey because that would be the best passer he's ever played with. I still don't want it to happen. Like I just, it just doesn't have enough upside for the cost for me. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm out I, on Gobert. I don't. I, I don't want that. I'm with, I'm with you there. Um, you know, a few caveats, I guess, is that any team in the league should want to at least think about the opportunity to get him. He's that good defensively, right? We all know how bad Utah was at the point of attack on the perimeter this year, and Utah was 10th in defensive rating. Um, so, um, you know, that's something. That's substantial. I, I do think there's a, a bit of a different calculation in the postseason. You pointed that out, right? Um, and such. Um, but, um, but I, you know, I, I think how much he would, uh, how much of your cap sheet he would take up, not ideal. Um, if the rest of the pieces were there, like if their wings were like in a good place and things like that, uh, you know, a little something you could kind of maybe, maybe think about a little bit more, but I, I think, it, and then on top of that, if they didn't have a Kongu kind of already developing towards, I think being, a guy who could be a really reliable starter in the future, then maybe that's something to think about too. But it, it just feels like they're tweaking the wrong part of the roster, you know, um, to me, uh, to, to kind of think about that. So I, I agree, especially if Utah, reminding ourselves Danny Ainge is there and he always seems to have the highest expectations for what returning to get of any player. Um, I, I, I can't imagine it would be useful for the Hawks to use like draft capital plus Capella if that's what it was, right? draft capital plus Jalen plus Capella, whatever that would look like. That's not moving the needle in the areas where they really need to move the needle, in my opinion. And, and so that, that kind of disqualifies that as something that would, I would see as being attractive to. My, my, my second strong opinion is I'm ready to, to push the chips to the middle of the table on Deandre Hunter, like recognizing 
that you know his deficiency was sort of something that Miami preyed upon. Uh, I still think that he has what it takes. Like just the the combination of what he gives them on perimeter defense, his size, his strength, his shooting ability. I think he played through a lot of injury after that Ubre fall. Um, he he was talking in exit interviews about how he'd been playing with a back issue for a significant amount of time. And I think there's still an opportunity for growth. Like he's still young enough that, you know, if you can lock him up for years, you know, his, his age 25 to 28 season seasons, that that's, you know, if there's an opportunity maybe to extend him at a discount because this season was a little bit of a disappointment. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'd, I think he's going to grow. I think I think there's an opportunity. I, th- I like the fact that he played as much power forward as he did this season. I think that opens up a lot. Um, you know, I think one of the ways that the Hawks can get more playmaking on the floor next to Trey is, is to have somebody like Hunter at the four. I, I'm, I'm, I know, I know there are things, but I'm, I'm still ready. I, I think he is committed to, to getting better. I think it's pretty clear that he knows he has to get better. The Hawks know he has to get better. They know what he has to get better at. And he's already good at a lot of things. And I, I, I'm willing to take that gamble uh, that, that he makes a little bit of a leap in, in the coming years. And uh, I don't know, I, I, if it were me, I would be ready to to commit to him. Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to see them stay committed to him in terms of from a developmental priority standpoint and all of that. I agree with you that when you move him to the four, um, especially if you can play him with a strong rebounder at the five, um, it gives him more matchups that he can kind of attack with the skill set that he has. When he's attacking wings, his ball handling and other parts of his game not there yet. Maybe that grows. Maybe they, maybe he, there's a league improvement there. I, I don't know. I'm not kind of predicting that, but I just know it's hard to find guys with his length, his strength, um, the the raw skill set he has. You know, he can make shots, um, and and he can you know, add his size, work around screens. Um, you know, he still needs to become a better defensive player in a few areas. He needs to become a much better ball handler. Um, so I I want to see him remain a priority to the team now when it comes to an extension I feel like the Hawks should not offer him something that I think he would take (laughs) and (laughs) and I I feel like DeAndre shouldn't take what the Hawks would probably offer him right so I mean let's just kind of let's say if they said DeAndre will give you four years at you know say 16 million per year DeAndre should bet on himself and say no I'm I'm gonna be better than that right uh if they said well the Hawks on on the other end said we'll give you four years at say you know 25 million you know, in that range, then Hunter should jump at it. And I think that's too much of a risk for the Hawks. So I, I, I kind of see there not being kind of a, a much of a Venn diagram to what the Hawks should be comfortable with and what DeAndre should be comfortable with, which means that if that's the, how it works out, he's going to go become a restricted free agent. That's fine. They still have a ton of control there. The risk for the Hawks is if he puts it all together next year, he's going to cost them a ton of money, right? And restricted free agency. But that's um, just something I think you have to kind of kind of live with. The injury history and how rough some parts of his play were this year, I think, tells you 
I don't want to get, you know, allocate four years of a really, really high number there. And I think on the flip side of that, like I said, they're actually better themselves. So, um, but, but I mean, I guess I'll be shocked if they figure something out. And, and I do believe in him still. I know a lot of Hawks fans have, uh, have been at times ready to give up on him, but I'm like, you, yeah, I'm still in. We'll see how the, the, the extension window works out, but I'm going to guess that DeAndre bets on himself and the Hawks are cautious enough to just ride that through to restrictive free agency. But he should be a big part of their plan for next year, in my view. There's enough there that I like and cross our fingers, hope he can have a healthy offseason and a healthy, healthy start to the season uh, and, and hopefully a full healthy season next year, which could make a big difference for him. I guess we should say we get a long offseason ahead, but uh... – is there anything else you want to take care of tonight and get out there? I don't think so. I'm, I'm enjoying second round of the playoffs. Um, draft is June 23rd. We know where the Hawks are picking, so the, the lottery is inconsequential to the Hawks, if listeners if, if right. didn't know that. And the other big date um, ahead of free agency is a June 29 guarantee date for Gallo's full salary for next year. Right. Um, and I would say also share that if, I think if, if fans are thinking, can the Hawks trade him? There is not a trade exception, and there's not much cap room that teams have to trade the full salary number into a slot. So those are the two big dates coming up. So we're still a good seven weeks away from anything kind of material happening there. Um, but I'm looking forward to digging into the, the the draft prospects now. Usually round two, when there's not three games a night, is when <laughs> I start to dig into the draft class. Um, so in the coming weeks, I'll start developing a, a perspective on, on that as well, and I'm looking forward to that. So you know, digging the draft class, looking ahead to the draft seven weeks out, the Gallo guaranteed date about seven, eight weeks out, and then free agency about eight and a half weeks out. So, yeah, we got time to work on all that. All right. Yeah. You, uh, <laughs> uh, why didn't Gallo shoot at the end of the game? Like, you know, just that final possession where he's buried in the corner, like, shoot and get a block, shoot, maybe pray for a foul or try to make something like he passed it under the rim. That was just, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Gallo has been really, really helpful last year's. He's been terrible in the games. I mean, he's just been terrible. He's not been able to kind of create a good shot for himself when they went that direction. In this case, I think you have to try for a foul, try to draw a foul there. I think you double pump, triple pump. If you have to hope to get someone in the air, and jump and create contact and hope that even if it's, you know, a 50-50 call that you get it. But that was rough. That was really rough. Him, him trying to thread a pass along the baseline to DeLon under the rim when they needed three points made no sense. Yeah, when they needed so. three, yeah. It was, I don't know. And Struess was right there leaning on him. It just felt like, jump, he's leaning on you. Like, I don't know. I, did, I sure. didn't get it. I agree. But he, he posted something cryptic on Instagram, and it was like, that. Eh? that didn't make me optimistic. Like, I think, I think he knows maybe now that, that he's at the end of the line with the Hawks. I don't, he talked about taking a couple of weeks off and then evaluating his future. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I think most people look at the cap sheet and are like, there's no way the Hawks can really fit him into what they need to do next year. So yeah. he, they, I mean, they may have already told him and his agent that, you know, ahead yeah. of time, just so that there's, they, they can start working right. on things as you can. Yep. Um, but, I mean, he's, he helped them a ton the last few years. I'm glad he, he was there. His leadership and veteranship were valuable. But I think just from a math perspective and the cap sheet, I have a hard time seeing him fitting in next year. Yeah, same here. All right, Glenn. Thank you for your time, sir. Thanks, Kevin. Have a good night. Night.